Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. I have loved your feedback hearing Ben Rector on Monday. These last couple weeks, y'all have just loved these shows, and I'm so thrilled. I have not laughed so hard as I have laughed with all the pictures y'all have posted of quokkas since listening to David Crowder's episode last Monday. You guys, they are very cute animals. I love when you guys talk back to us and tell us what you love about the show. So thank you for that. I love how much you've loved the episode with Ben. He is absolutely one of my favorite musicians. Also one of my favorite musicians is the one whose music is in the background, Mr. John McLaughlin. His newest album is called Angst and Grace. Make sure you have that. One of my dearest friends from the very beginning of this book writing, traveling, speaking, blogging, podcasting life that I live is Emily P. Freeman. I remember very clearly the day we met about 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago now, I think, when we were both brand new at this writing thing. And it has been such a joy to grow up with her in this career. In fact, we had books released on the same day. We have twins um, back in 2012. And I just think the world of her, her podcast, The Next Right Thing. I think I've said it to y'all before, but her podcast, I do not miss an episode. It's one of the best uses of your time. If you will just listen to the Chronological Bible every morning for 15 minutes and listen to Emily Freeman every morning for 15 minutes, I think your life will be set on a pretty good track. Her wisdom is really kind of unparalleled to me in this area. And her new book, The Next Right Thing, just released this week. I was supposed to be at her book launch party this week, but because of my headaches, I'm still not flying on airplanes yet. And so I was not able to go, but man, I just love her and think the world of her. And I love this book, The Next Right Thing. And Emily and I talk about one of the biggest controversies that we are both currently experiencing all around Tuesdays. You're going to hear it all right here with my conversation with author, podcaster, dear friend, one of the best, Emily P. Freeman. Well, Emily, welcome to the That Sounds Fun podcast. Thanks, Annie. Do you know in the history of podcasting, A, you were one of my first episodes and you're still one of the most loved episodes. You're one of the most listened to episodes ever, your first one. So look at that. A little bit of pressure. You got to do it again. We got to up it, right? Do you ever feel that (laughs) like with books or with uh, interviews or with teaching where you go like, that one was good. I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I'm going to walk like, away. Yeah, I, or I can never do that. I'm going to be Seinfeld and end on a high note. Yeah. Just going to slowly back out of the room and hopefully leave good things behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why haven't we done that yet? <laughs> we keep peeking and then trying again. And one of these days, <laughs> one of us is going to have some regrets. <laughs> A mutual friend of ours, you and I, some friends and I were sitting around talking about Israel the other day. Emily, how much fun did we have in Israel together? I remember one night in Israel, you came up to me, like we were walking. You didn't come up to me. We were all together. And you were like, can you believe this is our life? Because it was so fun. We were having so much fun. And I was like, Annie, this is not our life. This is your life. I'm just a visitor. (laughs) I am a visitor in your life. And it is. I can't believe it. I can't believe I get to visit your life. But it was was a great trip. I loved that. How has going to Israel affected your faith in the long run? Oh, I'm going to tell you right now. I went on that trip expecting, I mean, I expected good things because you had been, you told me it was a great trip, but I expected it to be um, sort of like a trip for my mind and my my heart, but also like, I'm going to learn about the Holy Land, right? And it's going to be so informative and it's going to, I'm going to, you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together of the Bible in that way. And it was that in many ways. But what I didn't expect and was not prepared for was how it woke up the artist in me even more than I. Yes. Then I realized, I think I expected Israel to be um, brown. And instead it was vibrant and colorful and blue and the food was delicious. And it was just in every way. From the food to the scenery to the people we were with, because we were with a, really a bunch of artists, really. I mean, all these musicians and people and not all, but mostly like most of the people on that trip. And I just I emotionally packed for a different trip than what I was on. And oh, so I was halfway through the trip thinking like, oh, I wasn't prepared for this. I got to figure like I can't run to, to CVS and get what I emotionally need. So right. I just had to like live it and hope for the best. Right. <laughs> 
Man, so it's affected your art most of anything. It has. And maybe it's affected my posture toward my work and my art in that way because coming back from that trip, and it's been, what, two years now, almost two and a half years. Has it? It's been two uh-huh. and a half years? Well, girl, it was 2016. <gasps> You're right. It was 2016. Yeah. Is this what it's like to get old? <laughs> I feel like we just gave a little, that's what, that 10 seconds. <laughs> This yeah, dear aging. everyone that's 25, let me tell you about this. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half years will blink. And you'll be like, remember last week we went to Israel? And you're like, right. it was two uh-huh. and a half years ago. We yeah, just got back. Right. I still have jet lag. No, it's yeah, been two and a half years. That's right. I think what it did for me, I came home with a little bit of, I don't know the word, a little bit of shame is too strong, but like embarrassment. Something where it was like, people are asking me, they're asking me the wrong question. They're mm. asking me, what did you learn about the Bible? And what did you, how did God's land come alive in, for you? And all that happened. But it's like, instead, I felt like I came alive. It felt way more personal in ways that felt too vulnerable to share to like random lady at church who asked that question. <laughs> yeah. Cause she just saw on Instagram that you'd been in Israel. Yeah. And she's yeah, like, yeah. oh, how was Galilee? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I don't know. I can't put words to this (laughs) that you are saying to me. Right. But what it did, though, was it's like, oh, this is this um, artistic space that I feel like. And it's really sweet to me that Israel is the place where that was woken up in many ways. It already was awakening, but even more so, that's sweet to me that it happened there, you know, in this place that we've all in many ways come to know. I mean, (laughs) I'll never forget when you turned me on the bus and we had, we were like descending down until you could see, um, you could see the Sea of Galilee. Was that what it was? Where Jesus walked on the water? And you were like, there it is. And you looked at me and you were like, it's like we're going on the hometown date on The Bachelor. (laughs) Like Jesus, like this is his hometown. Why do I talk? (laughs) Why do I say anything? (laughs) It was the best. It's like the hometown date. It was exactly like that. It was exactly like that. Yeah. It re- I mean, it really is. Right. It is one of the most extraordinary places. My pastor and his family just got to go, and I have some other friends that are there right now. And every time I just go like, it's just the best place. It's safe. It's beautiful. It's colorful. It's delicious. I mean, hummus is ruined forever. 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 Yeah. Yep. So I true. would have to make it at my house, which I don't eat. That kitchen room I barely use. So <laughs> I am, no. And so I am just going to have to wait till I get back to Israel. Yeah. We should just go back. Can we, though? I do. Invite yes, me. can we? You're invited. You're always invited, Emily. You know, <laughs> the actual truth of you and my friendship is that if I'm somewhere, I probably want you there. I love it. So you just come anytime. I, love it. I literally, this morning, I thought... My favorite part of today is I get to talk to Emily for an hour. Right. Like and it's so, our job. You I know. I know. But first, how's your family? <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear how the kids are. <laughs> and how's John? It's so funny he has hair. Listen, he has a lot of hair on his head right, right now. Face, head. Right. Everything. I and know. And he just chose to be bald for so long. <laughs> right. It's just so surprising. Right. His head, his head was shaved. People, I think, thought that he like lost his hair. It's like, no, he just shaved his head. It's fine. But now he's got hair. He didn't take medicine for it or anything. It's like legit. <laughs> it just it just came back all the time. He he was doing what only the coolest of men can do, which is like I'll choose to be bald. Right. That's fine. I'm gonna choose this life. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna choose a bald life. So we're good. I mean, that's incredible. Um, okay, how are the children? Okay, so that's John's update, I guess. Um, <laughs> his hair. No, you can give Listen. us more. Give us more because he's doing discipleship, and I mean, I think both of y'all over the last five or six years that I've seen up close have really transitioned into studying and caring and doing what makes you come most alive and what makes other people come alive. Yeah, that is a true statement for sure. Yeah, he worked at a church our whole marriage, 12 years, the first 12 years of our marriage. He was a pastor. And um, yeah, it's been about, speaking of in a blank, it's been almost six years, I think, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, six years, yeah, that he transitioned out of full-time being a pastor into, at first it was being home, being a dad. And then about a year later, ever since for about the last five years, he's been running a nonprofit where he offers soul care and discipleship um, for young men, young couples, and other ministry leaders who are local here where we live in Greensboro. Okay. It's amazing to watch. I like following him on Instagram, and it's just amazing to see. I just love when my friends find a way to help other people in such a way that it makes them feel the best version of them, too. Right. It's like when when it's your thing, but it also 
reaches out to support other people in their things. And that is, that's like the magic, right? Yes. Tell me how John feels about being John, to the best of your knowledge as his wife. Like, what has it been like for him to make this switch? I think he loves it. I think it is, for so long in our marriage and just in his life, he had a hard time connecting with his truest, deepest desire. Um, But then when his dad died in 2011, I think his work of accessing the grief of that loss also woke up um, his own desire and sort of where he felt led to move next. And something about a big loss like that, it's such a, a heartache. But it's also a gift in ways you would never think to expect because everything else uh, beyond a loss, like losing a parent, everything else feels small in comparison. So like a risk, like changing your job just doesn't maybe seem as scary as it did before because you've been through something really scary and really hard. Um, And I think that's kind of, I know it doesn't always work that way, but I think it did work that way for him. And so, I mean, which is a hundred percent why I'm not in Greensboro is because our mutual friend, Angie Smith is walking through that and our tour got canceled. (laughs) So, yeah, I think we're getting to the age where, the generation above us is very old. You know, like our parents and our grandparents. I'm so shocked when I have friends who have living grandparents. Right. You know, peers. Yes, for sure. Like even when Butter was still alive. I know. Your John's grandmother. I was like, how is there a grandparent still alive? But it's just such a different thing to be processing, like watching very close friends lose parents in a non-tragedy. I mean, they're always tragedy, but do you know the difference? Like, Right. Like they're older. And yes. so that's why like it's the course of life. It is a weird, strange space to occupy because I remember watching my parents go through that with their, same, when their parents died same. and when their parents' friends died. And it was, it's an interesting stage of life that you're, I don't think you can possibly be prepared for. No, there's just no way it, there. There's no way. I don't think. And so because of that with John, it kind of changed how he looked at work. I think it did. And I, I don't think he knew that at the time, but it just, he, it, it was like, um, he wasn't so afraid and maybe for someone else, it might do the opposite. It might make you more afraid, but it kind of shook something awake in him mm. in a good way. As the years went by, it wasn't automatic, obviously, but, um, but that's where I think he, he began to dream a little bit and thought, you know, the whole, like, if I could do anything question, he was never able to answer that question mm. before. I would be like, well, let's see, what could we do? You know, cause it was pretend risk. It was right. like, not, it was conversation, but for him, that wasn't pretend yeah. even just to verbally process that was scary. Um, but now I think he's really come into a space of seeing his, the gift of his compassion and his administration come together because yeah. he's of Enneagram two and he has a one wing, which back then we didn't know Enneagram right. you know, 10 years ago. We didn't, but, um, yeah. but now we realize like, oh, that's why it's such a unique gifting to be like this people person who also has this people and task oriented person. It's an interesting mix. Yeah. A two with a one wing and you're a four with a three wing or four with a five wing? Uh, three, but I think as I get older, I'm finding more, I'm leaning on my five wing more. Yeah. You're my closest female four. You're my closest four in my whole life, but I will never forget you're a four because when we were in Israel, we found this graphic <laughs> that was all these animals and their Enneagram type. And the four said, I know that. I knew that fish hated me. I knew that fish didn't like me. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so I will always, I will never forget your number there. I have a list on my phone of all my friends' numbers, but yours, I don't need, to, I don't need it. I'll always know you're for. Oh, so how can people see what John's doing? He has a website or is it just like if you live in Greensboro? Otherwise, sorry. No, he's he's gracegreensboro.org. I'm pretty sure that's his website. And most of his work is local, but he does do, you know, he's we're in the process of figuring out what might it look like um, to be able to offer things to people who don't live in Greensboro. For yeah, him. So that's yeah. kind of in the works. Yeah. Okay. And the children, do you say their names publicly or no? Well, their names are in my book, Ava, Stella, Luke, you know, yes. those are their names. Yes. Um, I don't normally talk about them using their names, but it's not like it's a secret, you know? Yeah. They are people. <laughs> you can see them on the internet. Yeah. Right. Right. They exist in the world. But the twins, the girls are 15 now. Stella just got her permit. What is happening in this world? She drives me around like only Stella, not Ava. Ava took driver's ed later than Stella because yeah. she had band camp during driver's ed. Week. Sure, sure, so sure. She had to wait. You know, it's the whole fifteen-year-old life. Yes, um, but yeah, they're they're great. And then Luke started middle school this year, so our youngest started middle school, and our twins started high school. So no transitions around here. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> fine here. Everything's normal. <laughs> I mean, what is it like to have high schoolers? The biggest transition for me, honestly, was from elementary to middle. 
Really? Even with the girls? Yes. Yeah, because I do remember that. It was like, oh, now they're newly taller than me. Now yeah. their feet are newly larger than mine. Now they can't fit on my lap anymore. Now they're starting to call me mom instead of mommy. Mm. It was a lot of those like from childhood to like teenage years. Right. That transition was really difficult for me. And no one told me. Everyone tells you how hard it is to go for your kids to go to kindergarten. And we know about like empty nests, like going off to college, but like the whole fifth to sixth grade conversation. I don't ever remember because sixth grade is middle school for us here. I don't remember knowing about that transition being hard. And then when I, when it hit, it was like, oh, how do I, how do I mother these people, these humans who are taller than me? <laughs> this mm -hmm, is new. Mm -hmm. um, so now that the girls are in high school, though, it's been kind of fun because they're like people and I don't know, it's, they just feel like people. <laughs> how do y'all deal with social media with high schoolers? It just, my hairdresser and I were talking yesterday about how scary it feels like from the outside with zero experience it would as a as an annie to watch my friends raising teenagers right now it's tricky and we have lots of conversations about it i mean they've only had instagram for maybe a year or so and they're 15 now and so that helped i think holding out as long as we could on some of that stuff they did get snapchat cuz but that it was like 2 weeks ago yeah <laughs> snapchat for the first time and then that depends on the kid though like some yeah. I don't know if it'll be the same for our son. Are you on Snapchat? I have my name, but yeah. I'm not on it. Yeah. I never really learned it very well. I really liked it until I realized that as I was drawing people to my stories there, there was a lot of content around that I could not control. That's the thing. And right. so I was like, I don't want to keep telling my friends to get on Snapchat when like they're just trying to watch a story that now I can do on Insta Story just the same without some of the right. funny filters. Right. But they aren't exposed to content that I did not curate or that they did not choose for themselves. Right. That you don't choose. That's the thing. Yeah. That's, the thing. that's my thing yeah. about Snapchat. But I get, I mean, everybody, all the, all the kids are on it. Yeah. Is what I hear. That's what I hear. Well, they're all adorable. And how, so tell me how Lucas, does he like middle school? He likes it. Okay. But I think he's, you know, when you're the youngest, which I'm the youngest of my family. So I get it. He sees the girls and like their transition from middle to high school was so fun. Everything's so fun. Yeah. So to him, it's like, <laughs> oh, which, by the way, I don't know this for sure, but I think he might be a seven on the Enneagram. Yes, I'm, I'm telling you from the day of our first friendship when we were doing Legos, I could have <laughs> guessed that. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. So the fact that high school is so fun for my girls, you can imagine my 12-year-old Enneagram seven. Is Ready. Like, it's like, oh, uh-uh, I'm not sticking around here. This is not okay. Everything for him is is relational. So it's like, it's not about math. It's about the math teacher. It's not about science. It's about who he sits sitting with. You know, that's his whole experience of life is through people. Yeah. You, you know me. That is, <laughs> that is my whole story. Do you know what's been so hard about this migraine bed rest grounded thing that and you and I talked about a little bit yesterday on the phone. I mean, it is, it is, it has taken away the center of my joy. Oh, wow. Right? And so yeah. in order to be healthy, I have to be without my favorite part of my life, which is traveling to my friends and getting to travel and speak and see people I love. Like it has been, it's been brutal. So yeah, that was always, but that's always how I was in school too, Emily. It was like the teacher mattered way more to me than the subject. Right. So how did you make make it through Give me parenting advice when you didn't oh, I was terrible enjoy at school. your teacher. You would be shocked how bad I was at school. But then you became a teacher. Well, yeah, because I thought it was really fun to be around all those people all the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? I mean, all I did was entertain them. I, I mean, I played my guitar almost every day, Emily. I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> what you'd call the most hard-nosed professional in the in the teaching field. <laughs> so, but didn't you teach math? Yeah, I taught everything. But I also really, I mean, it, the other thing that's in me that we don't know if it's in Luke is that I do love teaching. Teaching. Like I do love instructing. Yeah. And so that played into it. But the trick for when you don't like your teacher is you remind the kid of other people in the room that he does like. Right. That's and good. other ways that that what he is learning will make his life more fun. More fun. Okay. That's I have to remember that high value. Oh, so high. If you can convince me, I mean, you know this. You've you've done this to me. If you can <laughs> convince me it'll be fun, I will move hell and high water if I think I'm gonna have fun. You right. know? Yes. Yeah, such a great so. thing. You should have a podcast called That Sounds Fun. <laughs> if only, if only I had a place where I could often discuss fun. I know, right? <laughs> the whole month of February, we had couples on the show. It was so fun, Emily. We're going to do it again next February. But it was really, really fun to hear couples talking. Tell me 
what you know about marriage and what you know about you and John when y'all are what, like 20 years in? In a couple months, we're uh, 18 years married. Give me a nugget. Tell me something I don't know when you're in it that long. I don't know if you don't know this, but I think one thing would be um, when you are in a time of transition or of questioning or of having to make a decision together, which is which is basically daily, but yeah. sometimes it's, you know, like if it's a vocational decision, if it's a, um, like a job or a faith-based or a parenting decision, um, that oftentimes the thing we think we want is an answer. But what I've realized after 18 years, and I'm sure there's more of this learning to come, is that what we get instead is arrows. Rather than an answer, I get arrows. And so now we're learning to look for those arrows instead of looking for like, oh, I'm, we're going to pray together and then we're going to find an answer. Instead, we're like, okay, well, and it really kind of ties into the next right thing mindset that's really been changing my life for the past three years. Because, you know, when John, after his dad died and he was in this sort of vocational transition, we began to pray together a lot more than we were before because nothing like an unmade decision to, you know, force you to do stuff that, you know, makes you want to pay attention and figure out what's our next right thing. Right. And that's what we did. And I think in the prayer time and in the conversations with people and blah, 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 we were always looking for an answer. But for a year, we didn't get an answer, but we did get arrows. And for us, the arrow in marriage, speaking of marriage, it led um, not to a next step, but to each other. And looking back, I think, oh, that was actually the answer was what we did or did not do was secondary to us prioritizing our relationship and our connection with one another, because that's what's going to take us into our next right thing. It's like whatever next step we took together was going to be right as we did it in the presence of God because we were mm. together in it. And I think that has been something that took me quite some time to learn. But now that I feel like we've learned that in some levels, in some levels we haven't areas, but um, looking for those arrows has become part of my practice rather than just like an accidental thing. So our friends who are married to people who don't necessarily pray as much as they do or who don't share their faith, whether it's a husband who's married to a wife who isn't really going after her faith right now or a wife who's married to a husband who doesn't believe what she believes. How do you handle those moments, do you think? What does it look like to find those arrows if you feel like you're the only one looking? Well, I think the answer is the same, because if you are married, um, then the call is always to your spouse. Mm. And so moving towards them is going to be the right thing, if that makes any sense. So it's never a waste. And I think that's something that sometimes we worry, like, well, if I move toward my spouse, if they're in a difficult place, or um, if I move towards them and, you know, they're not moving back towards me right now or in this area, or they don't understand me, it's never going to be a, a wasted movement because that's the call. That's the commitment. And I think in marriage, one of the best gifts that we can give to our spouse, and I feel like John has done this for me, maybe in a time when I didn't really um, yet understand how valuable it was going to be or how valuable it was for me, is John has a posture towards me of tell me more. He has a tell me more posture. And I think as we learn to do that with our spouse, like, oh, we ask them a question and then they answer it. Learning to ask the second and third question is such a way of loving them, of having a tell me more posture toward. And it could be that that's good in relationships in general, whether you're married mm -hmm, or not, mm -hmm. is giving people space to um, not only answer the question you're asking, but then to ask them the second and the third question beneath the question, because there's nothing like being heard that ha that allows someone to feel loved. And over time, that builds on itself. And that has been the greatest gift that I've received from John is he has that posture towards me. Do you have that posture towards him too? I came about it uh, after he had it towards me. <laughs> I really? Like really? Yes, because it was one of those things where um, we had a great marriage. We had a great marriage. And then um, we he went through great loss. And then something woke up in him um, that he didn't realize was there, which was his own desire to maybe do a different type of work than what he was doing in full-time ministry um, at the church. But in that waking up, I think that he, it's like he didn't realize he had been somewhat closed off from me in some areas mm -hmm. of life. And it wasn't intentional. It was just when you don't access your own desire, um, other people can't access that desire in you either. And that's where 
but that's where you really live. Gosh, that's good, Emily. When you don't access desire, other people can't do that for you. Yeah. And so we we couldn't connect on certain, there were just areas that were that I didn't have access to in him mm-hmm. that neither one of us knew because we thought, well, things are good. But when he started to move towards me um, in ways that he hadn't before, through that, in that listening way, you know, in that posture of um, just being in the room with me. I mean, sometimes staying in the room with someone you love is the hardest thing you can do, especially when you feel like you're not, maybe you're not getting anything in return. Not that I wasn't giving it back to him, but I think I was a little suspicious of his, of his movement toward me at first. Cause I'm like, what, this isn't going to last. Like this feels really special right now, but is this gonna, but over time, I think I started to learn like, oh, he's in this for the sake of Christ, not to get something back from me. Oh, wow. Um, he's in this because he feels called to it as my husband, not because he's wanting me to pay him back in a certain way. And I think that's the work of marriage. That's the work of relationship that is hard to learn unless you're, you know, stumbling through it in whatever relationship that is, you know? I mean, you know my life really well. When you think of me and what what does it look like for me to prepare to do that well? Is it how I treat my friends now? I think it is. And I think you're doing it. I mean, I've read your books, girl. I think that you have one thing that you have taught me this year, even through listening to Remember God, because I have the book, several copies of the book, but I listened to it because I wanted you to read it to me. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm telling people, everybody today on Insta Story. I was like, get it now. So Emily will read it to you. It'll make you so happy. Right. Yes. (laughs) To get the next right thing. I know. Yes. I will read it to you. Um, But as you read the book to me, one thing that it woke up in me, re-woke up in me, because this is the beauty of, you know, the body of Christ is that we learn things and then we relearn them later when we forget them, which is always. Yes. And I think that one thing that you woke up in me was just that um, remembering to be intentional about looking for God in my everyday life, Mm -hmm. in all the spaces. Because I thought, oh my, like Annie is paying attention. Annie is on high alert. She is looking for the Spirit's movement in her life, in the people around her, in the cathedrals that she walks into and stumbles upon, um, in the small notes and the small moments and the big moments. And she's not missing any of it. And you encouraged and inspired me to start writing things down again, to start reminding myself, I want to remember God. I don't want to miss it. And I feel like you are such a great example of someone who refuses to miss his movement in your life. And that right there is such a great preparation for the work of marriage. Because when you get into marriage, when you get married, it's going to be easy to forget some things, you know, some things that you know, that you know, that you know, because a different version of you will show up at the table in ways that you might not recognize at first. Like, oh, I didn't know this weird version of myself existed. (laughs) I didn't know I was this horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know. But because you have this regular practice of remembering, of refusing to forget what you most deeply know about God, about yourself, and about the people that you love, that right there is such a great gift to continue to cultivate. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you. That's very, well, hey, that was very kind of you. But when you want things you don't have, which is everybody, there is a healthy way to walk toward it without making it an idol. Yes. And so I'm learning a lot how to, what that line is. I don't think it's a thin line, but I think it is a line. I think it's a wide line that we can dance around. But for all of us, whether it's, you know, a new job or writing a book or a career or a marriage or kids or whatever, the thing is you want that you don't have, how can we walk toward it without making it an idol? You know? I'm so glad you said that because there is, like you said, there is such a line between knowing what you want confessing and admitting what you want and getting what you want. Mm. So many of us are afraid to admit what we most deeply long for. Number one, because we're afraid we, we won't get it. But number two, we're afraid we're being selfish. But we have to remember that admitting what we long for um, is a gift to not only ourselves, but to the people that we love. Because what you want is what you want, whether or not you get it and whether or not you admit it. But if we refuse to admit it, it will control us secretly and it will come out sideways. And oh, so if, wow. I, if I don't recognize like, oh, I really long to be married. And if I refuse to recognize that, then I will go through my life. That longing will still be just as strong, but it will come out in weird ways yes, that we get might not like. Mm-hmm. It's going to come out. Yep. So often 
when we are stuck in decision fatigue or an inability to know what our next right thing is, it's because there's something within me that remains unnamed and unacknowledged. And when I can finally, um, in the presence of God, give myself permission to access that deep desire, because this is a question that Jesus asks people in the Bible all the time. What do you want? Um, when I can do that in his presence, I can either chase after it and trust he's going with me, or I can more quickly let it go mm. and trust he's going to, um, bring something else in its place, his presence perhaps, or whatever the thing might be. But the desire is neutral. It's desire is not bad or good. It's just, this is what's true. And it's so important to acknowledge that. Hi, friends. Just interrupting this conversation with Emily to thank our sponsor, Third Love. Third Love is a bra company that uses data points generated by millions of women who've taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. They have more sizes than most other brands. They offer more than 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. And you can skip the trip to the mall. You can just find your fit with Third Love's online Fit Finder Order it and try it on at home. No more of those awkward fitting room experiences. You know, gals, you know what I'm talking about. And the Fit Finder quiz is so easy. Over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date. And it's actually kind of fun. And it only takes like a minute to complete. And it, they help you identify the right size and shape and the right style that will fit your body. And it's a 100% fit guarantee. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, put it to the test. And if you don't love it, return it. And Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. I think that's so cool. And Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. Hands down, this is the most comfortable bra I own and my friends own. And straps don't slip, and it's a tagless label, so it's not itchy. It's lightweight, super thin memory foam. It molds to your shape. And the newest member of the Third Love family is their line of incredibly soft, smooth, and breathable cotton bras. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for every woman. So right now, they're offering you guys, my friends, 15% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash soundsfun now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash soundsfun for 15% off. This is the right time. Get a new bra for summer. Let's go. Thirdlove.com slash soundsfun and you get 15% off. Do you know, one of my problems right now in this conversation, Emily, is I'm just listening like I'm listening to the Next Right Thing podcast. <laughs> like I need to, I'm having to say to myself, she's talking to you. This isn't just, <laughs> you're not just intaking information. <laughs> this is actually a conversation with your friend. This is not an episode of the Next Right Thing. Uh, I'm Emily P. Freeman. That's and welcome right. to the Next Right Thing. <laughs> you're listening to episode, that sounds fun. Right. That's, I mean, it, there is really something to think about. Whether you get the thing or not, how are you expressing the want? Right. Because a lack of expressing the want is going to hurt you in the end. Doesn't mean you have to express it on a podcast like some of us do, but but there, how in your life are you expressing the wants that you don't have? Are you asking me that? No, okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was just an in general. That was a, sorry, rhetorical question. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going to do that to you. This isn't Mike Foster fun therapy. I'm not going there. <laughs> Can we talk about the next right thing? Yeah, girl. You never planned to write this book because when we talked about Years ago, you were like, eh, I'm because you went back to college. Like, kind of, can you tell that story? So, Simply Tuesday, my last book came out in 2015. Yeah. And I, that was my second book of a two book contract. So, I'm like, okay, I'm free agent. I have, I have nothing that I have to do right now. And it was super fun and great for about six months. Which, can I interrupt here about Simply Tuesday, by the way? Because yeah. we need to express to the world that you and I are not feuding between Simply Tuesday and Tuesday, you ain't cute. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. People, listen. I can't tell you the number of people who will text, who will like uh, DM me on Instagram, and they're like, they're like, you know, Annie, Annie's coming after you with Tuesday. <laughs> thank you. And I'm like, we've talked. We've, we've it's helped. actually saying the same thing, right? Dear everyone, literally, simply, it's simply Tuesday and Tuesday. You ain't cute. Are saying the exact same thing. Look at your Tuesday and laugh at it a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Like, see the gift, see the crazy. 
It's all Tuesday. That's right. Welcome. That's Welcome right. Welcome to humanity. Good. I just wanted to clear that up for everybody publicly between the two of us that before I ever created the Tumblr, before I ever pushed any kind of it's simply Tuesday jo- I mean, sorry, Tuesday you make cute jokes, I called you. Right. And right. made sure it was okay. She straight up called me on the phone. She's like, hey, listen, I have this thing about Tuesday. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> Okay, good. Okay, so cleared up. Controversy. That's why everybody's here, Emily. Right. They were here to see if we were about to fight about Tuesdays. Right. They're like, this is the view, and it's about to get crazy. Right, right. Okay, so six months after, it's Simply Tuesday. That's where we were. Yeah, so that's when I, you know, I thought like, oh, I'm going to have all this great time to like be a person. But then when you're a writer, you got, you know, writers got to write. And so I started thinking through what might be, you know, what's coming alive in me? What am I paying attention? I'm always paying attention to what's happening around me, how it impacts what's happening within me. And I'm taking notes, right? Because that's what we do as writers. That's what we do as humans. But, you know, writing it down maybe isn't what everyone does. But so I started paying attention. It was, you know, six months, 12 months after that book. I just recognized in me vaguely, not hugely obvious, but how uh, decision-making was kind of a big deal for people. Like when you have a big decision to make, it takes over. Like it's sort of like when you're in the market to buy a car and you're thinking about a Toyota and then you drive around, you see Toyotas everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not more Toyotas. It's just you're aware of cars. And the same thing goes when you have a decision to make is that you're just more you're more attuned to like, where might the arrows be? What might I need to pay attention to? How am I going to, what are the signs? You know, whatever. There's crazy ways people make decisions. But so for me, um, it it really kind of came about for me when I was considering um, going to grad school. So I was thinking about this decision to go to grad school. And in the scope of life, this is not a life or death decision. This is like a very privileged choice. Not everybody has. um, And I recognize that. But it was all the same, it was a big decision that I had to make because, you know, like we've talked about, I had three kids, married, work, all the things. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like a, a real practical thing and it seemed like a tricky time to do it. But um, that decision, Annie, I don't know why, but for some reason, it was really hard for me to say yes to going to school to get my um, master's. Yeah. Because it felt so um, extra or something, you know? Right. But at the same time, on a se- another level, I was watching myself make that decision. And I was watching myself struggle through it. And I recognized the power of that unmade decision, how that was um, informing my spiritual life, how it was bringing me to a place with God that I don't know if I could have got to if that decision had been easy. Mm. And so I started to see the gift of indecision can be an understanding and a realization that um, the decision is rarely the point. The decision really in the scope of our lives is oftentimes a way in which we are drawn closer or further away from God and the people around us. And so, you know, all that was happening in life, but I started, you know, taking notes. Which I think is huge. People should hear that. Like when you start feeling something stir in yeah, you yeah. that that seems to have a theme and a distance, start taking notes of what is going on. Right. Because like you say, like paying attention to that, um, you can start connecting the dots for yourself. Mm -hmm. Eventually they might connect on their own, but what a great thing to be a part of it and to be aware of it. And so I started thinking like, oh my goodness, like this idea of decision-making, maybe this is my next book. Like maybe because I had so many thoughts about it and I was seeing it everywhere. And that's how my other books came about. Like any book I've written, which is I've written, well, this is my fifth one, but yeah. by that time I'd written four and they all came that way. It's just sort of a theme or something was rising up in me and I was seeing it everywhere. So I started taking notes. To even talk with my editor about it. This was maybe a year after Tuesday came out. And um, she was like, oh, that, keep paying attention. That There could be something there. And she wasn't, you know, very impressed by it, but I didn't have a coherent <laughs> description of it. Yet. Like, right? Yeah, yeah, that's cute. That's cute. Keep trying. Keep yep, trying. Yeah, yeah. Which is how it goes sometimes. That's so, how it goes for me too. Where you just go like, I'm feeling this thing, and they're like, this is this is a baby idea. We need a toddler idea. Right? Like, like oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, come give me time. Back to me when it goes to middle school. But right now, yes, just need yes. To parent this thing. So hundred percent. I parented it for a while, and I started trying to outline it, and it wouldn't come. It was the most frustrating thing to work on. And that's when Annie, like I've said this before to other people, I'm like, well, it was a good run. I wrote a few books and now I'm done, I guess. No more book writing for me. It just felt like the idea came the way the other books did, but the execution is not coming the way the other books did. It's like it wanted to be, it wanted to be spoken. 
It wanted to be talked through. It wanted to be explored in 10 to 15 minute episodes. Yeah. It was the weirdest thing. But that's such a, it's a tip for anyone listening who feels like they have a project or an idea rising up within you. But if something's off about it, don't scrap the idea. Just consider if maybe the idea wants to be born a different way for through a different medium. So you have the gift, but what is the wrapping? It might not look like the wrapping it's looked like in the past. And it might not look like the wrapping that the way everybody else is wrapping it. Yes. That's so important because so many people say to me, I want to write a book. And usually my first response is you can write a book, but is that the only way to get out the information you want to get out? That's right. Like there are so many ways to distribute information and wisdom right now and just good art. Don't just decide that there's this one way. And so that's how you're going to do it. Like tell me the idea and then let's play with it. Yes. What's the gift? And then figure out the wrapping. Because what if your gift is shaped like a broom? It won't fit in a tiny gift bag. Like you have to know the shape of the gift before you can determine how to wrap it up. And so- I thought the wrapping was a book, but the shape of the gift I had to offer at that time, the next right thing, was not a book. And as I started to pay attention to how I was consuming content, a lot of it was audio. And I thought, well, 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 wouldn't it be interesting to try this out in an audio format, which was very scary, Annie, because I didn't know how to do a podcast. I don't know any of that stuff, you know? But what I allowed myself to do, like BJ Novak talks about um, falling in love with the idea, having a blue sky period, so much so to where I loved my idea too much to let the technology of learning the podcast format um, get in the way. I think that's really important for any type of art or work is to give yourself the time to just dream, just play with the idea, fall in love with it, and let the love lead you through the difficult parts of learning. And there will be difficult parts, and there were. So it became like, okay, guess there's no book. See ya, book idea. Now it's a podcast. And right. I spent, you know, it's like, <laughs> that was cute that I thought it was a book, but that's never going to happen. Now I know my whole future. Right. It's a podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the joke for everyone listening and for you and me, is now the two right answers aren't book and podcast. There could be something else. That is the right answer for the next thing we create. Right, exactly. It's not like, oh, well, it's either this or that. It's like, no, it's actually could be a lot of things. But yes. at that time, it was a podcast. So yeah. I actually and ended up- And it's such a good show. I mean, I know I've told you that for a long time, but man, it's one of the only ones I do not miss, Emily. It's so oh, good. Thanks, Annie. Well, th- I love hearing that. And it's it's funny because looking back, I look at the time I started. I started in August of 2017. And I also started grad school in August of 2017. Good gravy. So I ended up saying yes to that decision. And now I'm about to graduate and it's all very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Man, and you're graduating and the book's coming out. Listen, let me tell you, let me tell you who's a little bit crazy, this girl. But here's the thing is that it's very meta, but as far as your next right thing, I would never have planned two years ago. You know what? I think I'm going to go to grad school and write and launch a book in the same year. I would not have planned it that way. But as I have simply continued to do my next right thing, that's how it's happened. This is what, and it has been right. Looking at my life on paper, a person would be like, yeah, girl, this was not the right year for you to write a book. But listening to my own life, talking with my people, praying and listening to the heartbeat of God, it has been right. And I think that's the trouble we get into when we try to plan our life five years ahead of time. It's like, you know what? Jesus doesn't usually work that way. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to look ahead and make some loose plans. But like you said, holding it with an open hand rather than saying, well, this is not going to fit. This is, you know, just kind of remembering that there is a lot of life to be had today. And it might lead me to a place I never would have known. But here I am simply doing the next right thing has brought a lot of gifts for me and a lot of sanity. I was scrolling through the next right thing hashtag yesterday because I stalk my friend's projects. Right. And it is amazing how many people literally say, and just even in your comments on Instagram, how many men and women are saying like, Emily, this idea has changed my life. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You don't. You can't brag on yourself like I can brag on you, but it's just incredible that you have found such a very Emily way to say something that is so profound and impactful for every single person that that listens to it and reads it. Well, I love that. And the the magic of it, which I love, is that 
I have told zero people. I have not told anyone. Yes, to buy. you've told none of us what to do. Right. I've not told anybody. Yes, you should date that person. Like no, none of that. But I get messages from people and they're like, this has helped me. And then they'll tell me how. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what a beautiful thing that simply creating space for your soul to breathe allows you to discern your next right thing as you connect the dots um, in your own life with your friend Jesus. And mm-hmm. we all, I think we're all called to do that for each other as believers as, yeah. and just as humans in the world is to create space for one another, ask the first, second, and third question, help each other name things that are unnamed within us so that we can then discern what our next right things might be. Yeah. Do you have any screensavers? Do you have a, like a background I could have for my phone that says do the next right thing? Oh, yeah, girl. Absolutely. I do. Are they already available on your website and I just have missed them? No, I haven't shared them. But uh, you, now that you tell me that, it reminds me I should share those. So yeah. they will be available. Yes. yes, because I currently in a situation in my life, the only thing the Lord has said to me is do the next right thing. You don't need, and so my screen, I found one online that isn't yours. I went looking to see if I could find one. I found one that just says, do the right next thing, but it's not you. And I would rather it be your art. Oh, I'm going to send it to you. My friend Margot has done a lot of my um, graphics and art and stuff. She did our cover. Yeah. Podcast cover. It's so cool. And um, she did a, she made us a, she did us a. (laughs) Yeah. She done did. She went and did us a screensaver. So I'm going to, yes, absolutely. Okay. So people can find those probably on the next right thing.com next right thing book.com next right thing book.com and then emilypfreeman.com there's a book we'll get you there yeah yeah okay tell me what the book offers that the podcast doesn't offer that's a great question and in fact you. you know like i said you're welcome i was just gonna it was just gonna be a podcast I was like, yeah. this is great this is a podcast offer this is an audio offer but you know doing it for six months eight months i realized oh wait I am a writer, number one, who has readers. And a lot of my readers are not podcast listeners. No matter how big podcasting gets, there are always going to be people who who want the thing in their hand and who want to read it that way. And I'm so, one of them. I mean, I'm always going to be a podcaster now, but man, I love books and hands. Me too. It's just going to be. And so we do offer transcripts to the podcast because, you know, back in a former life, I was a sign language interpreter. And so, you know, that's one of my very favorite things about you. You know, how I do. Much I, love I do. That. Yes. So it's, but it's important to me to, to offer people who can't hear and don't, can't take advantage of an audio format for them to have transcripts. And so we mm-hmm. offer complete transcripts for the podcast. In fact, when I signed a book contract with Baker Revels, my uh, my publisher, I told them one of the things that I refused to do is to take the transcripts down. So I said, I will write this book, but we're leaving the transcripts out there because a lot of the content that's in the book you know, a lot of it has come from the podcast. Um, it's not like a cut and paste situation. That's not what the book is. But no. but they totally agreed. They were like, yes, leave it. It's fine. Because, you know, it's, you know, crossover stuff. But yes. the thing that I think that the book offers that the podcast doesn't, though there is the same tone and posture and feel, what's lovely about it is you can give it to friends. Yes. I think that there is something interesting about the way that we do our work as writers that a lot of times we write books and then we go out and create talks based of our of our books. And I just did it the opposite way. I have the talks first, and now I've made a book kind of that has been inspired by the talking. Yeah, <laughs> that make yeah. Reason. But the book definitely has a narrative arc, whereas the podcasts are more episodic, like week to week to week. The book is more, I'm taking you on a, it's a simple, soulful path for making a decision. So my heart is that if someone has a decision to make, they pick up this book, it's really helpful to actually help them make that hard decision. Yes. Even if you just find arrows, you don't take us to the very end. You just show us the next arrow. Right. And and offer um, suggestions of how to uncover those arrows because sometimes yeah. they hide beneath lots of piles of stuff. Yes. I mean, I'll tell you my favorite chapter when I read it was the Stop Collecting Gurus. <laughs> I was like, tell me that, Emily. Quit. Annie Downs, quit collecting up people who you think will tell you how to do this and just do it. Just do the thing. If we would just apply all the things we know we would never need to learn anything else. Right, right? I mean, if we would just, I mean, I had a pastor who used to say, your education, not just to me, though it was to me, your education far exceeds your obedience. Oh, gosh. And I was always like, you, boy. (laughs) (laughs) That hurts so good. (laughs) But that's it, right? Like we collect gurus, we read the books, and we should. But at some point, your feet have to hit the pavement. Right. You got to do the thing. And that's the thing about the collecting gurus concept is um, have gurus, but just 
maybe not so many at once, and maybe have some discernment if now is the right time for that particular teacher. Because sometimes it's like, oh, that's a good thing. They're saying good things. I want to learn from you. But then we do that 20 times, and then we can't find our own voice because they're so crowded out by everybody else's voice. So just choose your teachers wisely. I heard from a friend last night that there are 100,000 books published every year. Oh, gosh. Right. And so on the upside, that means there's what culture is telling us is there's so much space to create and share your work. Yes. And so you are invited to do that. On the downside, we have to be cautious about who we listen to. That's right. And so it's one of my favorite things about having That Sounds Fun is is I have filtered every single person that is on the show. And so if my friends who are listening trust me, they can trust that Emily Freeman is a guru to have in your life. But with 100,000 books, I mean, you could order 19 books on how to be healthy, but if you don't get up from the couch reading, your body will not change. It's so true. Yes, your body will not change. Right? (laughs) I'm like, stop ordering those books, Annie, and just go to Radnor and walk about it. Do the thing. (laughs) Quit reading about it. Walk about it. (laughs) The thing about your book, Emily, is that it's going to have a long tail of people responding to you about how their lives are different. Have you already experienced that with the podcast? I have, which is one of the things that um, compelled me to write the book was it gave me, there's nothing like writing a book where, that you already know has a reader because the the podcast listeners, it's almost like they were my proof that this is resonating. And so, you know, not everybody gets that when you write your book. I haven't gotten that with any of my other books, but it's been such a gift to have heard from listeners for, you know, a year, a year and a half before the book comes out. You already know it connected and you already have seen a year and a half. I just imagine to me, um, the next right thing is the book that in one year, two year, three year, 10 year, people are going to go, hey, I read that 10 years ago and those arrows led me here. And I know that's true because that's what that concept has done for me. Mm -hmm. The next right thing is saving my own life. And so I know that that works. And it's been really encouraging to, to hear that from other people. Yes, for sure. Man, I'll tell you what, when authors don't tell me that they save their own life first with this. I don't believe their work. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like when they haven't, obviously the actual savior is Jesus. But I mean, like when you tell me that you haven't, you didn't dive into this pain before you wrote about this pain, uh, you're not going to be on the That Sounds Fun podcast. (laughs) You're not going to be in my life because I need to know that the people I'm reading and the people I'm listening to actually live the life they talk about. Yes. This episode comes out on Thursday. The book came out Tuesday, so this is launch week. What is different about this launch week than any of your others? Oh, that's a fun question. Um, One thing that's different is, I mean, the last time I launched a book was over four years ago. Yeah. So the landscape of book launch world, you know, how we do this is very different. As of now, I have, I think you might be upwards of my 50th podcast interview I've I'm done. sure, I'm sure. Um, and back then, it was more radio than podcast. So that's one yep. thing that's different as far as like the logistics um, of it. And also, I've done a lot more work in advance of this launch than I have ever done before, partially just because I know more now than I knew then. And I know what works and what's important, maybe not what works, but I know what's important and what I love to do. So I've tried to do things to support this book launch that really sing well with my own personality and not so much things that, you know, maybe people say, well, you got to do this. And that has helped. Did you like my voice? That's how people sound. <laughs> That's my impression of people. (laughs) This is how people talk. (laughs) Oh, dear. I love it. Keep going. But I think all that to say, I think that has helped me going into this launch week. It's been more fun, which I know you value. Yeah. Um, It's felt more life-giving. It feels more like me. I feel a little more confident in my own skin of like, I've written a good book and I know it's resonating with people and I'm proud of it and I believe in it. And, And now we get to celebrate. I think that's, it's sometimes hard to celebrate. And listen, just side note, as an Enneagram 4, one of my great gifts is to see what's missing in the world. And so- um, I can often uh, really harp on what all I didn't do, uh, what I wasn't able to say, what I wasn't able to get to. But my spiritual practice and part of my own formation um, in my relationship with God is the practice of celebration, of seeing mm. what is there, giving myself permission to pause and to to celebrate what is rather than seeing what's missing. I was with another Enneagram 7 last night, and he just had a big career exciting thing happened yesterday. And I said, 
how are you celebrating? And he was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Because there's a thing we say about, se- there, uh, I think Chris Hewitt said this first, but he says, if sevens don't celebrate it, they lose it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so you're, I mean, what you're doing is such a good, and especially when careers have, when it's not like an ending, it's not like a race, it's not like a, if you don't have these goalposts for all of us, no matter your number, if you don't have these places where you stop and go, I always said, if I ever got here, I would celebrate. Yes. Yes. Cause I remember. And when, so I will do this. When the first, when I had my first book contract before I got the contract, it was like back in 2008 or whenever it was. And I remember thinking like, if I just get a book contract, like that's going to be it. Like that's going to be the thing. But then you get the thing and then there's always another, it's like the finish line keeps moving. Right. And that's what we do in our work. Right. Like that's just kind of part of it. Um, but you're right. Pausing and celebrating those things we once said was the thing. Let it be the thing for a minute. And then remember globally, big picture, none of that stuff is really the thing in the kingdom of God. You know, my friend James Brian Smith says that I am one in whom Christ delights and dwells. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. And in his kingdom, I'm never in trouble and all Uh, is well with the world. uh, One more time. One more time. (laughs) Can you? (laughs) I am one in whom Christ delights and dwells. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble and neither are you. That's so good, Emily. Tanya, this is why if you guys aren't listening to uh, the next right thing, you need to start today because it's that soothing the whole time. (laughs) It's that peace inducing the whole time. Well, I know because I am grounded from flying. I'm really sad I missed your book launch this week, but I'm celebrating so hard in Nashville, Emily, because I, every one of your books changes my life. So I am just really, really thankful that you keep writing and you've done it again. Oh, Annie, thank you. Okay, so you know how this show ends. I need to know, Emily P. Freeman, my favorite Enneagram 4, what sounds fun to you? What sounds fun to me? Okay, I have a problem. I sing a lot at inappropriate I I love it so much. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you what sounds fun. It's stuff that isn't. Like, not being in school sounds really fun. I cannot tell you. I have a long list of things I'm going to do this summer once I'm done with school. Like, I'm going to read a book. I'm going to go to the pool. I'm going to watch a movie. Like, there are so many things. That sounds fun. Okay. What books do you have, like, a stack you're waiting on? I have a list, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What? Tell me what. Do you have one? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, so the Inspector Gamache series. <gasps> yes. Have you read it? You've told me about it. I haven't read them yet. I think you told me to listen to them, didn't you? Well, I've heard that. I haven't listened to them yet, but people tell me that, to listen to them, because the narrator's good. But I've read the first two, and I'm in book three. I checked it out of the library a few months ago with high hopes, Annie, high hopes, and I renewed it once, and then I had to turn it back in because it was on the wait list for somebody else. Um, and I never never cracked it open. It was a sad, sad day of my life. I've done it before, too. It just happens. It just totally happens that you're like, I had every intention of reading this whole thing, and now it's due back at the library. That's right. Yep. Yeah. I just read Roses. Have you read Roses? No. Okay. It's a bed rest novel because it's 600 pages. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm a huge fan <laughs> of the Wild West. Do you know this about me? <laughs> I love the Wild West. <laughs> and it's like a it's a whole story about Texas. Like and it bounces between a hundred years ago and like twenty years ago. It's great. <laughs> if you need a, if you need six hundred pages about Texas. Just when you say I'm a huge fan of <laughs> the last thing I expected <laughs> you to say was the Wild West. I know. <laughs> it's, it I just I just get weirder publicly is all that happens. <laughs> I have always been this. I just get weirder publicly, but I just, I love it. I don't know why. I've really, been, I mean, here, you ready to really make fun of me? Yeah. I'm really kind of asking God why I enjoyed that time period and that idea so much, because I think there's something to it for me. I just can't figure out what it is. See, this is what I'm saying by you paying attention. You were like the one of the most paying attention people. Like the fact that you I just probably have too much time. Would that <laughs> you would ask like, I am a huge fan of the Wild West. Spiritually, what does this mean? For yeah, me? that's how, that's literally what I'm doing. I'm like, I can't resist a movie or a book or a show about the Wild West. What is it? There is something in that for me, and I've known it my whole life, but for some reason, yeah, you're right. I love it. Chase it down. <laughs> Annie, chase I'm going to chase down. it. 
I'm going to chase it. wait to hear more. We're going to have to do a part two. Yeah, Annie that's right. Wild West. Annie, why Annie loves it. Maybe I'm going to write some sort of novel someday, a Wild you West might. novel. You might. Who knows? Um, Emily, I love you. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for what you do. You're just so dear to me. Well, it's a joy. Thanks for having me. You guys hurry and grab a copy of the next right thing. I think you are going to love it. If you are planning Easter baskets for friends, if you are thinking about Mother's Day coming up or graduation, Emily's book is such a good one to toss in with the gift you are giving. So the next right thing book.com, emilypfreeman.com, and you can follow her everywhere. Hey, do make sure you follow her. There's so much to learn. And if you have not listened to her podcast, you're doing this wrong, you guys. You were doing this wrong. That is an arrow for your life is listening to the next right thing. So make sure you go and go start at the beginning. There's no reason. You can start at the beginning and listen to one every day or one every other day and, and catch up. And it's just incredibly, incredibly good. Make sure you follow Emily online and tell her thanks for being on the show. And if you get a chance to rate and review the show, that would mean a lot to me and really help put the show in front of people who don't already know that there's a fun place to be hanging out on Mondays and Thursdays. If you have any friends you want to share this episode with, that would be awesome as well. If you need anything for me, you know how this goes. I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, F as in friendship, because I love my girl, Emily. Annie F. Downs, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you'd want to find me. I think that's it for me today. You guys go out and do something that sounds fun to you. And we will see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. I wanted to say love you guys. (laughs) I do. I love you guys. (laughs) Have a great weekend. Love you. Bye. (laughs) 